Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. That's what we want to have happen here today, isn't it? We want His Holy Spirit, His Holy Presence to just anoint this place in a way that we just can't even begin to imagine. Can we just have a moment and pray? Our Heavenly Father, we just sense that your Holy Presence is here this morning. Lord, help us to listen to you. Would your Holy Spirit move upon us? Speak to our hearts. And Lord, may we listen and be obedient to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, it's Memorial Day weekend. And we had a great celebration at the beginning of the service today. Thanking those who have served. Thanking those who have gone before us. Thanking those who have done things to keep us safe. But in the midst of all that, as we think about those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for us, there's only one that has done the greatest gift. There's only one that has given us absolutely everything and more than we could ever imagine, and that is Jesus Christ. And so today I'd like us to take time on this Memorial Day weekend to give thanks to Jesus for his service, for his death on the cross, for what he has done for every one of us. Now the last few weeks, and and not just the last few weeks, more than the last few years, the last year we've been taking time to really try to learn about prayer to learn about what God might want us to be experiencing in prayer, in spending time alone with Him, one-on-one, and allowing Him to mold us and to make us and to shape us into the people of God that He wants us to be. We went through ten days of prayer leading up to the day of Pentecost, and many of you took part in that special time of prayer. You took time out of your schedules and, and spent at least an hour in that prayer room praying that God's Holy Spirit again would be poured out in His church, just like it was on the day of Pentecost. And those early followers of Jesus Christ, they knew what it meant. They spent that time in prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. They put everything else in their lives aside and said, this is going to be the most important thing. And why did they do that? Well, for one reason, they did it because they were obedient to Jesus Christ. Jesus had told them to go to the upper room. He had told them to go there to Jerusalem and to pray and to wait because something was going to happen. So they were obedient. But not only that, in that time that they had followed Jesus around, they had watched him. They had watched his life. They had watched how he lived. And they saw that he had to have time away with the Father. They saw that he would have to get away from the crowd and he'd have to be alone and he'd have to be with God the Father to kind of have his batteries recharged to be in God's holy presence. They knew that. And on the very night that Jesus is taken away and the whole process begins of him being our memorial gift, John records Jesus' prayer. And so this morning... 
I want us to go to John chapter 17. And if you have your Bibles with you, if you would open them to John chapter 17, because we're just going to spend time looking at Jesus's prayer on this Memorial Day weekend, understanding what was going on in his heart and, and what he was pouring out of himself at that point in time. I think this is pretty amazing that John records this. And I'm going to read it this morning from the NRSV, which will be up here. It may not be quite the same as your translation, so follow along whichever way you want. But let's just imagine that we have a little camera or an audio microphone, and we're going to listen in to Jesus in the prayer room. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I've made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours. And you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave me, gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me because they are yours. All mine are yours and all yours are mine and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name, the name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy, and it may be made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. And I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me 
may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And he says, Amen. And after he'd spoken these words, he goes out and Judas betrays him. Our dear, precious Jesus. In this final prayer, we hear from his heart what is important. What is it that he's trying to pass on as a memorial to his disciples? I want us to look back a few minutes then through this scripture this morning. Look at verse 3 just a moment. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And as I was reading this this week, I thought about this. I thought eternal life. What do we think about eternal life? We think about, I'm going to go to heaven. That's our hope, isn't it? That if we have Jesus in our lives, that eternal life is getting to be in heaven forever with Jesus Christ. Yes, it is. And I think we get excited about heaven and eternal life. But listen really closely. This is eternal life. That they may know you. That's eternal life. Eternal life is a relationship. So often we've turned it into a place or we've set it into a set of time. It's not about that. Eternal life is your personal relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus says is possible. Eternal life. An eternal relationship that you are invited into and to be partakers of forever with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. Well, what else does he tell us? Let's take a look at verse 11. He says, and now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one As we are one. Jesus says, I'm leaving. I know that I'm going away. And I'm leaving these followers, these followers to be in the world. And if you caught that prayer later on that night, Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for those who had not seen him yet and yet would hear the word and be his believers. So that night in that garden, he knew that you would be his follower and he was praying for you that night. And he knew that you would have to live a life out here in this world. And Jesus said, please, Father, go to them. Be with them. Let me just tell you something. As a follower of Jesus Christ, engagement with the world is not optional. We are not called to withdraw from this world. We are called to engage in this world. We are called to live in this world. Jesus knew that we would be in this world. And let me tell you something. Part of that call is for us to help to bring this world to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How many non-Christians do you know? Are there very many? Some of you may say, yes, I know a lot of them. Some of us in this room might find it really difficult to think of who we know that are non-believers. 
Because statistically, the longer that you are a believer, the less non-Christians you will know. Because your life becomes surrounded with the people you spend time with. You might spend time here at church. You get to know people here at church. You get to know other people that know Jesus Christ. And we become incredibly insulated. And we really don't know many people out in the world anymore. So I do ask you, how many do you know? Are you helping to bring people to Jesus Christ? Yesterday, I was reading the new Holiness Today magazine. I don't know if many of you even get that anymore, but I was reading and I was leaping through it. And I came across something interesting. They had this little box and it had statistics in it. And it had statistics about credentialed ministers in the Church of the Nazarene and how many we have in each region of the world as compared to how many churches that we have. And God hit me with those statistics yesterday. You see, in Africa... The Church of the Nazarene is growing faster in Africa than in any part of the world. There is a revival sweeping across Africa in the midst of the AIDS and in the midst of the war and everything else that's going on there. The church is growing incredibly rapidly. And it's growing so fast that we have 0.3 pastors per church in Africa today. We don't even have one pastor per church. It is growing so fast. Do you know what that means? That means that everybody that's going to church is so excited about Jesus being there in their lives. They're out there telling everybody about Jesus. And it's happening so fast that we can't train pastors fast enough to be in charge of those churches. In America today, we have the most pastors per church. We have... Get my statistics right here. 2.7 pastors per church in North America. 2.7. And do you know how fast the church is growing in North America today? We're not growing at all. And we've got more preachers than any other place in the world. Conviction here on two parts, okay? One part on us pastors. If we've been trained to be those to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have to ask myself, how many people am I out there in the world helping to bring to Jesus Christ? Second question, church, have we gotten too professional? Are we thinking we've got pastors to take care of that for us? So it's not our job? We are to be in the world so that we can be the light of Jesus Christ to the world. And for all of us in this room, pastors and lay people alike, Jesus was praying for us so that we would be out there letting a hurt and dying world know about him. What are we going to do about it? Verse 14, and maybe this is the part that we just don't like and we kind of have shied away from it. Verse 14, the world hated them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. 
Let me just throw out there that John, he loves to use that word, word. (laughs) And often when he uses it in Greek, he uses the word logos. And the logos refers to Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, was the logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God, the logos was with God, the logos was God. The logos, the spoken word. Heard a preacher the other day talk about how neat it is to hear that in Spanish because in Spanish the word for word is verbium, I believe, and that means verb, and it's an action word. And so in the beginning was this action word of God, and the action word of God was spoken out into the world. And this action, you see, I have given them your word. I've given them the logos. I've given them the action of who I am, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world. Let me ask you something. Does the world hate you? And if the world doesn't hate you, are you fitting in a little bit too comfortably with the world? You see, when we are called to be in the world but not of the world, we don't look just like the world. There are things that we do that don't look just like the world. The followers of Jesus Christ were rejected. Our desires, our motivations, the reasons that we do things in our lives ought to be completely different from those of this world. And you know what? It ought to make them uncomfortable. It's kind of like when you go into a dark room and you turn on the lights and the room is full of insects. Have you ever been in a room like that? You turn on the light and they all scurry to the corners because they hate the light. That's not very pleasant. But if you are light in this world, when you walk in a room, you just might make everybody else feel pretty uncomfortable because you bring the light in and you shine your light in the darkness, dirty cracks of their lives. Chuck was telling a story yesterday about going golfing with a bunch of guys down in Texas. There were Three of them from the church went, and so the fourth guy was added to them. And as they were golfing that day, that guy kept cussing all day long and telling bad stories and stuff. And he says, you know, we'd get down about three or four holes, and he asked the first guy, what do you do? And he says, well, I'm a state trooper. And he told his story, and he said that lasted a few holes. And then a few holes later, they asked the next guy, oh, what do you do? Well, I'm a school principal, and that lasted a few holes. And finally, they're getting near the end of the game, and this guy's ball goes out in the woods along with Chuck's, and so they're out there together, and the guy says, and so what do you do? He says, well, I'm a minister. He said the guy about died. He said he actually just turned white, realizing that he'd been telling all this dirty stuff for so long. You see, the world doesn't like to have light shown into their dirty places. But if you're not making the world uncomfortable by your life, maybe you ought to ask yourself, Am I just a little too much like the world? Because you see, followers of Jesus Christ are radically different, radically changed, radically sold out to him. You know, are you willing to do things sacrificially with your time? You know, we we have a world that tells us that it's our right to do this fun thing and that fun thing and, you know... Our Constitution says we have the right to the pursuit of happiness. I think we're probably the only country in the world that says that. And so we we love that. You know, we want to go out and have fun. 
We lived in Russia. They don't even have a word for fun in their vocabulary, so that's not even a good place to think about it. But um, it's a strange thing. There is no word for fun. But we want to have fun. But are we ever willing to sacrificially give some things up in service to God? You know, today, there's a stand out there in the foyer that you can sign up for Vacation Bible School to help children, for children to register, or to be an adult to volunteer for Vacation Bible School. You know, and honestly, we've been trying to do something different with Vacation Bible School. We believe God's put us in this corner of Fort Wayne. Yes, we are here. But if you look around at our neighbors, not a whole lot of our neighbors come to church here. And we feel like God has put on our heart these neighborhoods up here. So Vacation Bible School begins on a Sunday evening with a big party up here at Apple Valley that we would like all of you to be a part of. A part of that says, we love our neighborhood. We love these children. We will sacrifice to help these kids come to know Jesus Christ. And then Vacation Bible School here at this place for... Through Thursday of that week, we need volunteers, helpers, people that will love our children. These children that are part of our church all the time and the children of our neighborhood. It says, come on in. We love you. We will give sacrificially so that you can know the Jesus that we have had the privilege of knowing. Jesus died for the whole world. And we're supposed to act differently. To the point where the world hates us because of how we may act. Verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. I just want to mention this. We live in a nice, clean world, or we try to make it a nice, clean world. But I want to tell you something. Evil is out there. And true, awful, dirty, filthy evil is out there. And let's be honest, dirty, filthy evil would like to get a hold of you. And we are, I'm sorry, but I think a number of us are dabbling in evil. Because we think we can just kind of get close enough to it and it'll be okay and it's not going to take over my life. And evil is just waiting to get a little tiny hold on you. And then that hold is going to get larger and larger and larger. And evil can get a hold of you in so many different ways. Let me just tell you, you want to stay away from it, run from it as fast as you can. I hate to tell you this, but one of the best ways that evil is getting into every single home is in, by the way, of the computer. Men and women alike, there is junk on that computer coming into your home that you have no business spending any time with. Flee from evil. Get away from it. Don't let it into your lives. It will ruin you. Don't think that there is no evil out to get you. There is. Jesus asked for you to be protected from the evil one. Let me also tell you, there is spiritual warfare going on around here for the souls of people. Spiritual warfare, people. It is real. 
You need to pray. Jesus prayed for your protection that very night that he prayed. And verse 17. Sanctify them. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. What's interesting about this, again, is that word is the word logos. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word, Jesus, he's the truth. Pure and simple, that's who it is. It's Jesus and he is the truth. Now, why in the world would Jesus pray that last night, just before the whole shooting match begins, would he be praying for the sanctification of his people? You know, some of you all here are from the long history Church of the Nazarene, and you might think we have a corner on this word sanctification or the holiness movement. Let me tell you, it's a lot older than 300 years. John Wesley didn't invent it. Neither did Phoebe Palmer. It comes to us all the way from Jesus Christ. It comes to us from the early days of the church when Jesus was praying for the sanctification of his followers. You see, sanctification is the goal for every single Christian. It is not something special or unique just for a few people. It is what God wants for everybody. And what God wants for everybody is for every one of us here to have a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, hey, you followers, you are not going to make it if you have one foot in the world and one foot with me. You have to be entirely sanctified. You have to be made completely holy. You need my Holy Spirit to fill you from the top to the bottom. That is the goal. It's for us to be entirely made clean and to be entirely followers of Jesus Christ. It's not just a halfway option. And I'm sorry, but I think that for a long time we thought it was. I think we've thought, well, I can live this sort of Christian life. You know what? Jesus is saying, no, you have to be 100% sold out to me. If somebody looked at your bank account register, what would it reveal to them about what's most important in your life? Is Jesus most important in your life? Or is taking care of myself more important in my life? Or is having fun more important in my life? We're talking about radically sold out people to Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was praying for that night. And then he was praying Because he knew Pentecost was coming. Got our dove up here representing Pentecost. Last Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. The disciples had prayed for ten days that there would be a total outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. And Jesus wanted those disciples to be sanctified. You see the word sanctity, holy, they're all related to each other. The Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes holy Holiness is nothing about you. You don't make yourself holy. You don't make yourself holy by following a list of rules or leading, living a certain lifestyle. Remember what Jesus said eternal life was? It was to have a relationship with the Father. Holiness 
is when you have that relationship with the Father and when you say, okay, I give it all up and I want your Holy Spirit to fill me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet and everything that I have, Father, is yours. And that's what the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ, experienced that day on Pentecost. And they were so radically changed that the church was born that day. And our world was never the same. People, if God took us right here and sent us out on the streets today and we were to begin the church, would our world be radically changed? Are we so filled with his Holy Spirit? Does he have every single part of us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet? Are you moved daily to be a servant of Jesus Christ? Does what you see out in the world break your heart every day? Well, last week, Pastor Chuck asked you, what is your next? What comes next for you spiritually? And I just want to simply ask you that question today in light of what Jesus prayed. First of all, do you know him? Do you know that you have eternal life? And some of you may come to church here every week and maybe you enjoy coming and worshiping and the presence of God is here. And let me tell you, it feels good. But it's not about coming to church here on Sundays and feeling good. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have never seriously given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, today is the day. Give your life to him. Say, Jesus, I'm done with this stuff of the world and I want to have a personal relationship with you. And so that Jesus who died, the great memorial gift for us, ask him into your heart and into your life. But the second thing I want to ask you, maybe your next, is that you've asked Jesus into your life. But maybe you're at a point in your life where your Christianity is just sort of so-so. Maybe you've got a foot in the world and a foot in the church. Let me tell you something. You're supposed to look the same on Monday like you do in here on Sunday. It's not supposed to be any different. And if it is different, if you are not wholeheartedly sold out to him, if you have not allowed that Holy Spirit to fill every corner of your being, that might be your next today. And some of you will say, but I've done all that. I've done that. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I've consecrated all that. But let me tell you, sometimes we need another next. Because you see, life and our circumstances change. And there are things that we take back along the way. I remember giving Jesus my everything when I was 18 years old. But when I was 18 years old, I wasn't married. And along the way, I've had to give my husband to the Lord had to give our marriage to the Lord. That's been a next. And then two little girls came along. And you know what? I remember saying, God, I have to put them on the altar. I don't know what you want for them or their lives, but they're yours, Jesus. And that was a next. And maybe it's a job that becomes a next, or maybe it's an attitude that becomes a next. But anything that can begin to fill your life back up and doesn't leave room for the Holy Spirit. It may be your next. 
And so as we just close in prayer time this morning, I want you to ask God, what is my next? What is it maybe that I need to give up so that I can be sanctified as Jesus prayed that we would be? If you have never asked Jesus into your heart and life, and if you'd like to pray to ask him to come in your life this morning, would you come pray down at this altar and someone will come down and pray with you? And as we go into prayer time, if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you in any way, let's just come down around the altars this morning and pray. Say, Jesus, I give you my all. You gave your all. And I want to be sanctified just as you were sanctified for your work here on this earth. If the Holy Spirit is moving you, why don't you come down and pray? The altar's open right now. And we'll move into our prayer time. But if God's speaking to your heart, just come and spend some time with him around the altar this morning.